WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Jacquez Printa. And I'm Taylor Brock. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Coming up on the show, one of our reporters tells us about how some Ohio University students participated in a school supply drive to benefit Athens County schools around the area. Also, one of our reporters takes you inside what it's like to give blood and why the Red Cross is struggling to get more people to donate. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Martin Luther King Jr. Day has been in existence and inspiring people to do good in their communities since 1983. In honor of the holiday, Ohio University's Campus Involvement Center organized a school supply drive to benefit Athens County Schools. The outlet's Beth Greenman has more details on the event held Saturday, January 28th to package supplies. On East State Street, Saturday morning, right? We have a strong local food movement. We have a strong tourism um, movement in our region. So we've got challenges, but we also have strengths. But I'm going to show you this one. With 30 people planning to attend and a wait list with more wanting to help, the packaging day for the MLK school supply drive on January 28th was sure to be a success. The drive collected an abundance of supplies for local elementary schools, and plenty of OU students were happy to help prepare them. Community engagement is a department within the Campus Involvement Center. Assistant Director of Community Engagement Barbara Harrison has worked for the university for 25 years, spending five of them in the Campus Involvement Center. She explained how and why the drive was conceived in the first place. Well, each year Ohio University plans events surrounding Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And every year we also have a component that involves community service. This year we decided to reach out to our local elementary schools and see if there were some supplies that they might need mid-year. To Harrison's surprise, the one item the schools were in need of most was clothing. The large number of students volunteering also came as a surprise to Harrison, and she gave insight into why so many signed up for the event. Well, we know that students in general at Ohio University do give back to the community in big ways. And so I think that when they see a project like this that they feel like is something they really can contribute, they really do turn out. It's long been a tradition to help one's community in honor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. For this reason, many students wanted to volunteer for the drive. Ohio University first-year students Rebecca Fouts spoke about why she felt motivated to volunteer for this event. I wanted to get more active in my community. For example, it was Christmas break. I was sitting there uh, watching Netflix. I just got so bored. I was like, what is the point of me just sitting here? It's like, what's the point of living if I'm not doing stuff for other people, making other people feel alive? Fouts logged 100 hours of volunteering a year in high school, but the business of having both class and a job at OU required her to step back from community service for a bit. Back in high school, volunteering was a huge part of my life. And then when I came to OU, that kind of phased out a little bit because I'm a student leader at the Nelson Dining Hall, which um, requires a little bit of my time. But I decided I really want to get back into the volunteering aspect because it's just a great thing to do, like helping out your community, making other people feel good. I really want to have that in my life again. Volunteering is something people do simply because they want to help. In a world that feels like it's becoming more and more polarized and divided by the second, it's nice to see people coming together for a common cause of doing good. Harrison encourages students to keep in touch with the Campus Involvement Center, which has an online calendar and can even help students connect with specific agencies in the Athens community. Every day in my job, I get to see sort of that evolution of students who may not know much about our Athens community, and by getting involved, they quickly learn that we're just really blessed to live in this small town with so many resources, but yet also there are so many opportunities for students to give back. 
For The Outlet, I'm Beth Greenman. Martin Luther King Jr. advocated for social justice his whole life. While the issues our nation faces today are slightly different, students at Ohio University and members of the community are advocating in the light of his legacy through the arts. The outlet's Elise Hammond has the details. The claps and whistles from the audience go out to the artists who were brave enough to share their art on the small stage at Casanueva. Beyond the stage, Ohio University students and Athens community members fill the booths, tables, and line the bar area for the social justice-themed open mic night. I really enjoy the arts personally, and I love that people can express themselves in so many different forms. And so through music or poetry, you know, it, that's social justice because words have power. That was Ebony Porter. This will be her third year organizing the event. The night is part of a week-long celebration in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. It just brings attention to issues that people are facing. It allows us to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King, and it just puts a different spin on it because a lot of people enjoy creative arts, right? So you may steer from social justice, but you really like creative arts, and so you may still capture our audience. Part of Ebony's duties as a coordinator of the event is finding talent to perform. Elena Chester, a senior this year at Ohio University, has just the emotion Ebony looks for to make the event successful. Inspired by her passion for social justice in the arts, Elena is using singing to advocate for issues that are important to her. As a theater performance major who has been singing since she was six years old, she is no stranger to the stage. Tonight, though, she says, was something bigger. She chose to sing John Legend's Love Me Now in order to remind the audience of the importance of sharing love and expressing yourself. Be able to not be scared to talk about things that bother you, and not just for my color, but anyone's color, anyone's sexual orientation. And, and the only way we're going to know about it is if we talk about it and bring it to light. Elena says she is planning on continuing her advocacy for social justice after graduation through the arts, television, and music. I don't think the entertainment industry has to be safe because no one's going to give up the entertainment industry. It's, it's going to always be there, so use it. And Elena is not the only one who feels strongly about advocating for justice through the entertainment industry. Another OU senior, Adriana Mozzi, says she prefers spoken word poetry over singing. She weaves her passion for social justice into short, impactful lines, forcing the audience to listen and reflect. I'm starting to like the outcome. Yes, it is difficult sometimes to express myself. When so much of our identity is based on our surroundings. She read three poems she wrote herself that spoke directly to social and political issues many people feel today. I guess my poems are about how people like supposed to embrace each other and um, like the whole message of Dr. King is like we should be brothers and sisters and love each other and live together. So. The same issues that Dr. King was advocating for years ago are the same ones being expressed by students and community members in Athens today. The notes saying of equality and love will continue to echo long after the event is over. For the outlet, this is Elise Hammond. At the beginning of every new year, it's a tradition in some cultures to have a New Year's resolution. The resolutions vary in topics from fitness to quitting a bad habit. Taylor Brock tells us about some Ohio University Bobcats resolutions that may be different than the average person's. 
New Year's resolutions are popular. Often they are a way for people to finally break an unwanted habit. Statistically, the amount of people who stick to their resolutions is slim. According to History.com, 75% of people stick to their resolution for only one week. Some Ohio University Bobcats are breaking that trend this year, as they are already three weeks in. People would think Christian Givens, a sophomore who is 250 pounds of muscle, would have a resolution revolved around fitness. But instead, his resolution is unlike the majority of students his age. Givens said that the majority of people he knows don't stick to their resolution. The majority of the time, their resolutions are weight loss or health-based, and they never stay motivated. Givens wanted to dig deeper into his soul and find some deep-rooted changes he wanted to make. I wanted to take this year to find myself and see where I fit into this world uh, through spirituality, mental mind state, um, making my, putting myself in solitude in a way where I still can hang out with my friends and be social, but at the same time, working on myself, because this is college after all. You have your fun and everything that kind of subsided, but now I'm looking for the real things that I want in life for a long term. And he hasn't given up on finding himself yet. He has locked himself in the library and has been working towards finding a balance between his social life and schoolwork. Robert Rothermund, a junior at Ohio University, looked to find smaller areas of his life that he thought he needed to work on. His resolution was to stay off his phone and go to the library more. So far, he is sticking to it. Doing pretty well. I'm getting I'm getting a lot more stuff done before it's due, and I'm not like staying up the night before. So that's always an improvement. It's been success thus far. Thus far so. 2017 is time for change. Time to focus on the bigger picture and look to change areas that need improvement. For these two young men, they are doing just that. They are making 2017 a year where they can prove to themselves that they can stick to anything they put their mind to, no matter how big or small. For the outlet, I'm Taylor Brock. With January coming to an end, many people may be starting to struggle when it comes to keeping their New Year's resolutions. Maddie Young discusses the tips on how to turn a fitness change into a habit. The atmosphere at the gym is filled with active students and faculty members between classes. There are angry grunts and weights clicking that surround the room. In January, the traffic increases. New athletes are starting to get more involved to keep up with their New Year's resolutions. An OU student-run athletic group called CHARGE, which stands for Changing Health Attitudes and Actions to Recreate Girls, is a brand new organization for students. This is their first semester and they already have 150 members. Rachel Unska is one of the leaders of the group. She believes the program will help keep the motivation strong for the new year. We were shocked by like how many girls have joined. I think the New Year's is definitely a big reason because a lot of people like come up with like goals for the new year and charge is a great way to hold yourself accountable when you're with so many different girls. The program stands out compared to other fitness clubs. They have weekly meetings and newsletters that encourage commitment. They also have professional trainers come in to teach classes. The pin classes are really great and um, they have like certain classes each week, but the difference about charge is that we bring in instructors from Athens and Columbus, like the surrounding areas, and we have a different instructor every Monday. So girls can try out like all different kinds of workouts that they won't usually be able to get at pin. It's typical for people to run out of steam when striving for fitness goals for the new year. According to Octane Fitness, only 8% of people keep up on the resolutions. Professor Kitty Consolo teaches courses at the Zanesville Regional Campus about exercise, fitness, and behaviors towards well-being. Her tip is to have a positive mindset and to write out small goals over time. Over the years in working with people that are successful in their resolutions, is if in the beginning they have a positive vision of what they want to accomplish. So rather than see themselves as 
negative, like I'm so slow or I'm out of shape, they see their best self in front of them. And, and that's the image they're creating. And then all their goals should be around that vision um, to achieve that. And it helps if they write out a, a schedule and daily, weekly goals, you know, because mm -hmm. once you write it and you put it on a calendar, it does something to your brain like, wow, I'm really committed. Kitty also believes that it is critical to have that moral support from others. This will help hold people accountable. If you can get, if you can engage others in your dream and your goals and even work out together, that is so helpful. Um, the last thing you want is people around that are saying, you know, you can't do that. But to have people that have a common goal and they're going to, you know, hold you accountable and encourage you, that is so helpful. Regardless of how much support you have to make the change a habit, you have to stick with it, realizing it takes time. Well, they say if you can do that habit for at least six to ten weeks, then it really becomes a habit. So those first six to six to eight weeks at least are so important in trying to do everything you can to maintain success. Also, it's important to realize it's normal to have setbacks, like maybe you get sick and you can't work out or, you know, your car breaks down and you have to miss that workout that day. But the important thing is to have a plan for getting back on track as soon as you can. Having a goal on maintaining it for the new year can be difficult but the end result will be worth the work. For The Outlet, I'm Maddie Young. The Red Cross is facing a blood shortage, and while that's not uncommon, it is unusual for this time of year. To help replenish their supply, The Ohio University will host more blood drives in the coming weeks. Discussing blood donation with The Red Cross is Connor Keurig. Red Cross nurses prefer to listen to Aerosmith and John Lennon while they collect blood from donors. And when I say listen, I really mean rock out. I'm in Baker Center at Ohio University's first blood drive of 2017. Sunlight is streaming in from the windows above, as if to calm donors before a nurse sticks a needle in their arm. They are overbooked right now, so there's a line of people waiting to give a pint of their blood. But that's a good thing for the Red Cross, because they need to meet their daily goal of 30 pints now more than ever they're facing an appeal situation. That means their supply is critically low. Jackie Mishler, the local Red Cross account manager, expects many return visits to OU to help end the shortage and explains the appeal situation. We always go, you know, nine months out of the year when school's in session, colleges, high schools, universities are all make up about 20% of our inventory. So during the three months, June, July, and August, our inventory always kind of goes down then because we don't have that source. So during the summer, we sometimes do go into an appeal situation when it gets critical. Um, but I just haven't I just haven't known us really to go into appeal during the winter months um, when schools is, are in session. So this is, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty serious right now. Our inventory is um, low pretty much as soon as this blood is processed today, which takes about 24 hours, we'll be shipping it out to medical facilities. Jackie placed some of the blame on the weather. The Red Cross had to cancel drives across the country since December. Over the holidays, they saw their donations plummet much lower than usual. To end appeal situations around the world, Jackie believes we need to educate children in their schools about donating blood. Yeah, so you know what, I do, um, 
Pint Size Hero presentations to little elementary students. And we talk about being future blood donors and we talk about how important mom and dad is to come in and donate. And so how I explain it to them is their little boxes of milk that they get, it's almost two of them put together. So it really is not, um, it's not very much. Average adult walking around has 10 to 12 units of blood um, flowing around their body. So giving up a unit of blood is, is not, you know, really that big of a deal. Um, and our red blood cells regenerate quite quickly. So, before you give up two milk boxes of your blood, how do you prepare for a Red Cross blood drive? Well, Jackie recommends you eat a full meal and drink at least two bottles of water before you arrive. Then you sign in, answer health-related questions, volunteers take your temperature, your blood pressure, and lastly, they prick your finger. That's to test iron levels, and to me, that was the worst part. I mean, I came in expecting one needle, but not two. I hate needles, but Jackie brought up another point. Who doesn't? Everybody has an, uh, some sort of fear of needles. I mean, I think that, you know, you would be just a little off if you really didn't have some sort of fear of needles. Um, and I just explain it to people that you, again, are only one with that needle for a maximum of like nine minutes. The recipient on the other end that that's receiving that blood, you know, they're with that needle for, it can be up to an hour you know, when they're receiving the blood product. So um, just your little tiny bit of time gives people more time to spend with families. It saves babies. It can, you know, it sustains people's lives that have um, blood diseases. One blood donation can save up to three lives. When a unit's taken to the lab, it's separated into three components, red blood cells, plasma, and platelets. Brandon Bailey is donating blood right now. He sits in a reclined chair and holds the mic in one hand and a stress ball in the other to keep the blood pumping. Brandon told me he can't stand needles, so why donate? Well, um, I've just always given since I was in high school when I could. Uh, my dad gives all the time. He's in like, I don't know, like the six gallon club or some, something like that. Um, but uh, both him and I are O negative and so he always just kind of encourages me to give blood so I just I have like the Red Cross app and whenever I'm available to give blood, I just schedule an appointment and give blood. Ohio University will host more blood drives in the month of February as Red Cross employees like Jackie keep working to end the blood shortage. Dates and locations can be found on the American Red Cross website. Donating blood can be intimidating, but sometimes going through pain is just what we need to do to take pain away from others. And if nothing else is worth the pain of donating, that free t-shirt you get and the red bandage that nurses wrap around your arm will serve as a reminder that you're now a pint-sized hero. For The Outlet, I'm Connor Q. Okay. Carrying a concealed weapon isn't anything abnormal, but carrying them on a college campus is something new. That privilege was just one of three outlined in the new bill signed by Governor John Kasich. Talking with an Ohio Student Senate board member and other Ohio University students is the outlet's Jaquez Printup. 2016 was the year of surprises. On top of the presidential election and inauguration wrapping up, Governor John Kasich of Ohio signed Senate Bill 199 into law. This bill allows Ohioans to carry handguns if licensed on college campuses, daycare facilities, and airport terminals. Although the bill outlines that the institution's board of trustees must vote whether to allow weapons on campus, the signing of this bill has caused a swirl of emotions, leaving some hopeful and some fearful. My hope is that 
just say, for instance, this happens in Scott Quad. Hopefully that shot echoes down the hallway and somebody else who's 21 living here is going to have a gun. That was David Parkhill, the president of Ohio University College Republicans. While many are against Kasich's decision, David is one of the few that are for it. But Park Hill's vote for isn't just to flash a CCW, but to ensure safety in a scenario where the odds may be against him. Somebody gets their hand on a gun, right? Maybe they, they, maybe they get it legally. They're 21, they take the class, they pass the criminal background check, they pass the mental competency check, you know, the whole nine yards. They legally have this gun, they're legally allowed to conceal it. But, you know, family tragedy, bad grade, Yada, 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 the list goes on and on. Something horrible in their life happens, and they just snap. And that's the day that they're going to go do it. And they stand up in class, and they pull it. I really hope there's somebody else that's there to protect me. And I think it's going to prove why other people need to have that. Because that kid is going to get a gun no matter what. Although there hasn't been a life-threatening occurrence on campus recently, David's goal is to prevent that situation from ever happening. We're talking about on campus. We're talking about in class where kids aren't drinking, it's really important that, that we pass this so we can save lives. So many tragedies have occurred in the United States. OU shouldn't be another tragedy. While he explains his vote for the bill, many students and community members are still in disagreement. The vice president of Ohio University College Democrats, Anthony Eliopoulos, feels adding more guns to an already bad situation is a dangerous move. I think fundamentally, more guns to the issue won't solve anything. Putting more guns on the street would just make it dangerous. If the other side says, like, it's a good guy with a gun, he can prevent something from happening, but that's just defensive in nature. Essentially, if mass shooting were to happen and a good guy with a gun in a perfect world were to take out the mass shooter, the mass shooter would still be able to take out a specific number of people before the guy would have enough time to react and take out the guy. So I think there's a better way. We can find a way, and there is a way. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do it. Just make sure that the guy, the mass shooter, doesn't have the weapon to begin with. Even though these two men don't take the same stance on the issue, one thing they can both agree on is safety. I think every instance that happens, not just on our campus, but nationwide, we have to look at and see what can we do to make the situation better. Because people are a lot of the time afraid to politicize what happens, but we can't be afraid to do that. Like after Sandy Hook, the people, the families advocated for strong gun control and they went to Congress and lobbied for it and they were totally denied. And we shouldn't be afraid to politicize something just because politicize is just debate. We have to debate when something bad happens in order to make it better and safer. If the Board of Trustees were to sign off on this, many students feel there would be a surplus of weapons on campus. But Vice President of Student Senate Courtney Mull explains that's not necessarily the case. Um, the policy as it stands right now would be completely vague. So the Board of Trustees has the ability to shape that however they'd like. So it certainly wouldn't be a matter of um, every student who's 21 years of age being suddenly able to, to carry a weapon in a classroom. Um, we know already that there are strict Ohio laws um, surrounding the, the CCW license, so a student would have to be 21 years of age, and they would have to go through 
uh, a certain number of hours of training to obtain the license in the first place. But then the Board of Trustees also has the ability to direct that policy however they'd like. So they could very well ban weapons in residence halls and dining halls and only allow them in a classroom space or an academic building space. Um, they may refuse to approve any students from carrying, but they may allow trained faculty to carry a weapon in the classroom. Um, they may do it so that each individual license that they would permit on campus has to be approved on a case-by-case -case basis by OUPD. There are lots of options that are available for them. Ohio Student Senate sent out a referendum to the Athens and five regional Ohio University campuses. With a little over 6,900 votes, 65% of students recommended the Board of Trustees does not act regarding concealed weapons on campus. Yes, David and Anthony both hoped for different outcomes, but one thing they both agreed on was not only the safety of themselves, but for their fellow Bobcats. For The Outlet, I'm Jacques Printup. McCracken Hall has undergone a major renovation. Our reporter Micah Upshaw interviewed Ohio University students and faculty to get more information about the new building for the students in the field of education. One. Two, three. Yay. The Patton College of Education held its ribbon-cutting ceremony for the newly renovated McCracken Hall building on Friday, January 31st. Education majors and other students who spend a decent amount of time in this building are genuinely excited for McCracken's new look. I come in here to eat lunch almost every other day at least, and... It's definitely nicer. It's a lot less crowded to study than at the library. I really like the project rooms that they have now, like compared to like the library rooms. Tracy Vague has been at the school for a while, now a third-year grad student that teaches two classes. She's one who has experienced both buildings and is happy about the new differences. This is absolutely remarkable. I taught in this area, um, but I would try to go off campus in between classes. Uh, find a place that was nice and comfortable to sit. That usually meant a restaurant in town. Um, now that we're back here, uh, I want to stay. So that's a big difference. The first renovations for this building happened almost 60 years ago. Since then, the Patton School has seen millions of students. And on the topic of millions, the new renovations for the building came to be a total of almost $33 million dollars. Now that is a lot of money, but the students in the School of Education think that it was money well spent. Um, I think it's awesome for us education students. Uh, it gives us a lot more opportunities, I think. Um, being Family Consumer Sciences, which is home ec, um, we have new kitchens, and that just like helps us to learn better. And I think it's we should feel like honored as education majors. Like we, I think, like I said, we have the best building on campus. The building is very modernized, and it fits the technological culture that we live in. With that being said, it is understandable that it costs so much. And while students in the Patton School think that it was money well spent, students who aren't in the Patton School of Education hold other views. It's, the price does seem a bit steep because I have a class in Ellis Hall this year, and the walls are literally falling apart. So I don't know like how they're allocating the funds or anything. I mean, I'm sure it's really great for education majors and people that have classes in that building but it's a little discouraging for the other students who go to buildings such as Morton where our social work classes are and the classrooms are falling apart 
and there's only two classrooms dedicated to the social work major and they're just not in good condition at all and it's kind of sad when they spend that much money on one school but then the other schools kind of get the back of it that is a lot but also i like the idea that they are taking money and putting it towards the school rather than other things that they could be giving it to Renee Middleton, dean of the Patton College, mentioned that a lot was donated and that they couldn't have even begun the project without the donations from OU alumna Violet L. Patton. As for how the funds were used, Dean Middleton believes each and every penny was used effectively. We're very delighted that we could give McCracken Hall a new heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done here, that the heart of McCracken was always strong, uh, but we needed to be able to give it a transplant, uh, increase its bone structure, our, our trustee Wolfert was able to go through the building with us when we could see the structure and see inside the building and look at its structure and look at the steel and the other parts of the building that people don't see but that are essential to the life uh, of the building in the long run. And so it has strong bones again and we're very excited about that. There's no question uh, that that money was used wisely, uh, was used effectively, was used in ways that allow us to get the most out of this building for generations to come. Congratulations to the Patton School of Education for redesigning its infrastructure to create a better place of learning for the next generations of Bobcats to come. I wish to thank With you for outlet, attending this historic I'm and long-awaited event for Ohio University and the Gladys W. and David H. Patton College of Education. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced and co-hosted each week by me, Jacquez Printup, and Taylor Brook. We're edited by Atish Badia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at WOUB.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WOUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.